The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Winner, winner, chicken dinner! You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. What's up, everybody, and welcome once again to the Action Network Podcast, the Golf Edition. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bet, alongside Unfrozen, my friend, the head of content from the 15th Club, Justin Ray. And Justin, when last we saw you and spoke with you, it was cold, you were losing power in Austin, Texas, and you literally froze in the middle of the podcast. Have you unfrozen? I think we've fully defrosted now. I know we joked about it, and there was a fun explosion noise when uh, the detonated when I was booted out of the Zoom, put in in post production last week. But you know, truthfully, for my wife and I, it was more of an inconvenience than anything. We had it better than most folks, but uh, we finally have power back. We still are under a boil water notice, which I don't wish on anyone. But a lot of us in Texas are dealing with that right now. But basically, that just means cook with bottled water, and if you need to use water, boil it beforehand. But you can still wash your hands and everything. So anyway. It's, it's all getting much better. That's a, the, the, the summary. Um, it's almost like 70 degrees outside here today. So it's getting much closer back to normal. And we're getting back to the uh, cedar trees driving me insane with my allergies. So that's more of what we're used to here in February in Austin. But Okay, well, I will um, take allergies better, yeah. over massive power blackouts for you. So I'm glad you guys are safe. I'm glad you're doing well. I know your wife's pregnant. And so she's, she's okay and everything like that. So that's great news. And um uh, yeah, by the way, uh, kudos to our producer, Matt Mitchell, who I, and I will admit this, Justin, I, I don't listen to the podcast ever afterwards because I was there. I, I already heard it. So I went back and listened because I thought it was it actually worked out really well that you you were at a spot in last week's pod where it was like, I've got a sleeper. This is a guy <laughs> you're going to want to keep an eye on. All of these things are, are in his favor. It's and it went out and and he did a really nice sort of post-production job as you said and uh and it was francesco molinari and that was a good pick and he finished tied for eighth how about that yeah it all worked out so if you have a little two-way have a little top 10 going you know you're welcome you know all right well let's get into some other stuff from riviera before we get going with this week's wgc at the concession which i can't wait for i can't wait to break this thing down so what a weekend what a finish uh, i mean i i know Tony Finau might be a big story coming out of it, might be the bigger story, but I always think that on Monday after a tournament has ended, the winner is story 1A. He's at least the bigger headline, if not the bigger story. And so uh, what Max Homa did at the end of that golf tournament was tremendous, uh, considering that is an event where he grew up going to Riviera with his dad, watching Tiger Woods play there and getting inspired as a kid to become a professional golfer someday. It means so much to him coming down the stretch. He's tied for the lead on 18 hits as brilliant a drive as he can a little butter cut down the fairway stuffs an approach shot to three feet misses the putt. And you're thinking, Oh my God, how can he miss that? Okay. Well now it's probably Tony Finau's time. And especially they drive it on 10. And by the way, Justin, when I become PGA tour commissioner, Every PGA Tour playoff starts on 10 at Riviera. I don't care if it's at the concession and they're in Bradenton, Florida, <laughs> DJ chat, and Rom or whoever it is going right. to play. Off. Yeah, get on a plane. <laughs> You're going to Riviera. Um, and so, of course, uh, Finau hits a good drive, 
Homa's is not much worse, except it winds up worse. Uh, and by the TV cameras, it looked like he was stymied as if he was going to have to play at lefty. And the cameras kind of fooled us a little bit. So he, he did sort of have a swing there. Uh, they both get out of there with pars. Homa makes a par on 14, the second playoff hole, and wins his hometown event very emotional afterwards. So just your reaction to everything that was uh, really a fast-paced, fun finish to this event. couple pieces of context for that Homa sequence. That approach at 18, closest one of any player in the field all day. Mm. That's how good it was. He's got got to hit that approach shot tight to win the golf tournament. Hits the closest approach anyone all day. He's 55 for 56 on putts inside five feet before he looks at that putt to win and then misses it. And then you've got, of course, the miraculous uh, recovery at 10. That was awesome. I, at one point, with the camera angle, I was like, can he hit this, like, through his legs maybe, like, you know, backwards? <laughs> like, I, it looked like he had absolutely nothing. And that, you know, I, I know the camera can kind of play tricks on you, and he obviously had a little bit of a shot, but it was still unbelievable. The little hooded sand wedge kind of cupped over, hooks it onto the green there, is able to, to save his par. Just awesome stuff. Um, the Riviera always delivers. That's the first thing I had in mind. I mean, even with the Saturday, the wind delay was unfortunate. I mean, winds got high and the, the greens were cut a little too quick for those conditions. And they had a four hour wind delay, but I mean, man, Riviera is awesome. You, I, I don't, I know 10's the famous risk reward par four, but can you pick a favorite hole Riviera? I mean, it's just, the place is just absolutely fantastic. I really hope that it, finds its way into the major championship rotation at some point we get a pga or us open there down the road i know we have la country club coming up in a few years which is going to be really cool so uh the takeaway for me the the home of finish is awesome his emotion after the fact um tony finau is just playing unbelievable golf his last four starts fourth second 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 around the world the guy's got to win eventually, man. I'm so sick of updating this note every week. Most top tens without a win. Most top fives without a win. The man has more than $19 million in official PGA Tour earnings since his last win. You can go on and on. The craziest number I came up with, Max Homa is the 43rd different guy to win at least twice since Tony won. Gosh. 43 guys. 43. And he's just such a good player. He played awesome yesterday. We have eight birdies. He was, you know, strokes game putting were through the roof. Tied his lowest ever final round in the PGA Tour. And then he's got two opportunities. He's got well, one amazing opportunity at 10 to win the golf tournament. And it's just, it's going to happen eventually. So um, that and how well Sam Burns played for, what, 63, 64 holes. Yeah. He was, he was terrific. He's led the most rounds of anybody on tour now this season. Which oh, is wow. That's good stuff. That guy. Um, he's going to break through and he's going to be a guy who wins multiple times on tour. He's so talented. So um, that's what I took away. Just, you know, great finish for Homa. Finau's got to do it eventually. Sam Burns was super impressive and the most impressive, the winner for the week, Riviera Country Club. Okay. So a few reactions to that. First of all, um, I, I'm going to be honest here. I was not that impressed with Homa's second shot on 10 in the playoff up against the tree. I, I put every single chip shot. I, I put back foot, close up the club face, just kind of punch at it a little bit, goes right on the green. I I thought it was a pretty easy shot, honestly. I just didn't think it was that big of a deal. I don't know why everyone's saying, you know, it was so great. So a lot of practice out of the trees. <laughs> that was he I mean, maybe if you had to hit it lefty, I'd give him a little credit, but nah, yeah, you can hit it right. You could take a swing at one, it. One of the best shots in my bag <laughs> is the four iron ball in the back foot punch out for about 40 yards. I've all I've got that in spades i don't have a whole four lot iron. Of got under the tree branches 
I go, I go super low trying to punch it out. That's oh. my, you know, safety over, over getting it close. I've got I that. I don't know if you saw my tweet last week, but I've come out of the seven wood closet. Dustin, well, Johnson, Dustin Johnson made it easier for everybody, didn't he? Dustin Johnson's no. using a seven wood now. And so I finally had to tell people, I, I made a hole in one two years ago, the day after the masters, my only hole in one at Palmetto country club, uh, Teddy Greenstein, who now works for points bet was with the Chicago Tribune at the time. He was my, uh, my, my partner in the cart and, uh, Bob Casper, Billy Casper's son, of course, and Brian Taylor, his radio partner in the foursome. Uh, Bob hit one to about a foot uh, on the seventh hole. Then I came up and about 165 out. It's really a seven hybrid. It's not even a seven wood, but hit this little seven hybrid that I hit all the time. Hit up in the air, two hops and went in. And Teddy goes, I'm going to break the news on Twitter. I go, okay, that's fine. You can scoop me on my own hole in one. That's funny. And I'm kind of looking over his shoulder as he's typing in. I go, whoa. And it's like slow motion. I'm grabbing the phone out of his hand. I go, you can do whatever you want, but you cannot say that I used a seven hybrid because I will get so much crap on Twitter. And so uh, Dustin Johnson using a seven wood and seven wood, seven hybrid. Okay. Maybe it's seven hybrids, not even as cool as the seven wood, if you will, but at least it allows the rest of us to, to say, look, we're not, we're not scared anymore. You can taunt us. You can come at us, but the number one player in the world is using one of these. And so you say, Justin, that you've got a four iron in the bag. I, I'm not even sure I have a four iron in my house anymore. I think I've just like discarded a, all of them. Dude, I've got a three in my bag. I'm old school. I pick it. I'm straight up and down. Oh, you know? I'm looking for an eight hybrid if I can find one. If anyone has one out there. <laughs> Come on. Not that I'm overly successful with either of those clubs. But. <laughs> I will say I can hit mine anywhere from – it's a seven hybrid, not a seven wood, but – I can hit it 150 to 190 and do whatever I want with it. Cut it, hey man, draw it. Whatever, yeah. whatever works for you. you yeah, know? I'm, I'm, a, I'm as unorthodox a player as you'd ever see, so uh, we can get to that later. But uh, in any case, the other reactions to what you were saying, go on, <laughs> uh, going on tangents here. But, yes, Riviera is everything. The course seems to get better every year. I've covered this event probably, oh, I don't know, five of the last seven years I've been out to L.A., and – Every time I see it, see it on TV, see it in person, it gets better. It's an older golf course. It's not like, wow, well, it's a, a new course. And it's starting to grow on us a little bit. It's been around forever. It's been around for what? Close to 100 years. And it still continues to get better every time we see it. Couldn't agree with you more there. And then let's get to Tony Fee now because everyone's talking about Tony right now. As you mentioned, he has lost to six players in his last four starts. And yet, it's just stupid. The chorus of catcalls from people, the boo birds, the the glass half emptiers, as I've been calling them, who think that Finau can't close. And the main point that I will make about Tony Finau coming off of this is that if you want to say he hasn't closed, I'll say absolutely, completely agree with you. There's really no denying that. I'm not sure that you could argue the other way. Tony Finau would admit. He hasn't closed out golf tournaments. If you want to say he can't close, I think you're doing it wrong. I don't think that's how it works. Five years ago, people said Dustin Johnson couldn't win a major. How would that work out? Yeah, fair enough. I would say for this week, though, it's not even like a situation. It's not even a question of closing, right? This is a guy who shot 64 to get into a playoff. This is like we were down five in the bottom of the seventh and came back and tied it and lost it in extra innings. Like yes. it's not necessarily a blown save. You know, it's not a guy with a three shot, four shot lead or something that couldn't make it happen. I mean, 
got played out of his mind. He tied lowest final round of his PGA Tour career, shot 64, putted brilliantly, played awesome, made a ton of clutch putts on the back nine just to put himself in a position to be in that playoff. Now, did he not – I mean, he didn't make the putt uh, on, on 10 to win, and he, you know, put his – put his tee shot in the bunker on the second playoff hole. Yeah. I mean, that's unfortunate, but I mean, the guy played fantastic. I don't, I don't, it, it's, it is really though. It is unreal how many times he's been close and hasn't won. I mean, it's yeah, just yeah. staggering like 37 top tens on the PGA tour. All right. 37. The only guys with more, I think are in, in that span since the beginning of the 2017 season it's like DJ, Justin Thomas, and John Rahm, and they have combined for 29 wins in that stretch. Like, that's it's ridiculous how often he puts himself in that position. And I don't think – I don't see that as a knock on him. I see it as a testimony to, you know, how incredibly consistent he is as a player and how good he is through the back. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm totally pro Tony Fee now, and I, I don't see this as a negative. He's not going to break through. It's not going to happen. I see it as – the wall has been chipped away so much that he's about to burst through it. All these times he's putting himself an opportunity to win. They're going to turn into victories. eventually. Well, I could react to that, or I could get to the WGC workday championship at the concession golf club. One of the longest tournament names we've had in a long time, but the paragraph um, championship here. This week. Yeah, I'm still, I, you know what? <laughs> WGC at TCGC presented by W. I, I don't know. It's something like that, but in any case, I'm really excited for this one, and I'll get right to my favorite outright play because I'm not reacting to anything Tony Finau you just said. Instead, I'm just going to tell you that my favorite outright play this week is Tony damn Finau. I'm <laughs> going go. with it. It's going to happen. I mean, you said it right there. You said exactly what I've been writing and saying uh, for the entire day right now, which is he keeps knocking on the door, and sometimes he's just going to bust through it, and I think he can bust through it in a big way. I think, honestly – there was a time when I thought Tony Finau might win again the way he played at Riviera on Sunday, which is no real spotlight on him, no target on his back, doesn't have to play defensively. He can play some offense, shoot 64, and sort of back his way, so to speak, into a, an event, into a win. Now, I'm almost thinking Tony's just going to go out and win by seven. He's just going to, like, absolutely explode, play his best golf, and win one of these things, and I think it could happen this week. That's a great call. Um, he's not my favorite outright play this week, but I don't think you can go wrong betting him at this point. I mean, just consistently really, really good. Um, we talked about his finishes, his last four starts. What was it? You said six guys have beat him. Like, just that's absurd. I mean, he's yeah. playing fantastic. Um, you know, we obviously don't have course history this week, a concession. This is the first time this has ever hosted a PGA tournament. Bryson won the NCAA championship here in 2015. Um, but, you know, it, really in the absence of course history, you know, I took a hard look at the key players and traits of the other courses on the Florida swing in recent years. And, you know, looking at Bay Hill, TPC Sawgrass, Innisbrook, uh, PGA National, driving distance uh, isn't, qu- isn't quite as significant as normal when compared to other PGA Tour winners, but it's still key. Uh, driving accuracy, not as significant at all. It's, it's way down on the list in terms of um, the average ranking of winners on the Florida swing compared to uh, the PGA tour average iron play more important than normal. So that's where you could probably think of, you know, off the top of your head, some recent winners with great iron play in Florida tiger winning a zillion times there. Sung JM last year, short game numbers there. The comparison's roughly the same. So you think about uh, it's comparable in length to Bay Hill from se- between 7,400, 7,500 yards mid to long irons are really important at Bay Hill. You see as many approaches from 
175 to 225 at Bay Hills. You do anywhere else. So, you know, maybe that'll come into play this week. We'll see what the data data brings us. But that's kind of what I was looking at course history wise in the absence of any actual course history. My favorite outright play, and this is going to be I'm going straight near the top of the world rankings. Mm -hmm. I'm going with John Rahm. Uh, a guy who I think figured something out Sunday at Riviera. Um, he gained more than four strokes on the field Sunday, tee to green, hit 10 fairways, made seven birdies, shot 66. It's reminiscent to me of something he did last summer at uh, work day. He kind of scuffled early that first. We had two straight weeks at Muirfield Village in Ohio. Mm-hmm. He scuffled early on, then had a really big final round. I think he gained more than six strokes on the field tee to green that Sunday. He wasn't in contention, but it really felt like he found something. That's kind of the way I feel like he did at Riviera. And workday, he went and won the next week at Memorial. So I kind of Ram is kind of a guy who you can see, you know, he he grinds out through the end of tournaments and will work on things that get him ready for his next start. And that's what some of the greatest players in the world do week in, week out. So I, the numbers tell me he found something there, especially with his driver driving it so well. I'm gonna say that he translates that into a big week. And if he drives it that well, he's gonna put himself in a lot of scoring positions this weekend uh, at concession. Okay, I have a question for you, and I don't know if you've kind of looked at the stats or even thought about uh, basing it on this, but when they when the world's best players go to a new golf course, and so we see it at a WGC every here and there, every here and there every uh, couple of years, or you know certainly major championships over the years. Is there one certain type of player that has an advantage? Does not knowing a golf course give an advantage to the best players because they can just go out and play their best? Does it level the playing field and say, okay, well, really no one has an advantage because no one's seen it. And so the number 50 player in the world has uh, has more of a chance against the number one player than somewhere else. What does it do? And, uh, and the reason I ask this is because the last time this very event went to a new course, went to Chapultepec four years ago in Mexico City, and the winner was Dustin Johnson, who tends to play well, on courses where he can just show up and he's never seen it and feels like the rest of the field is kind of fretting about, Oh my gosh, a new course. How do we play this? What do we do? And DJ's like, I don't know, man, I see the fairway down there. I'm just going to go hit it and see what happens. And it works for him. And I know DJ's like this idiot savant golfer. And I know a lot of people think that he's maybe not that bright because he's not as loquacious as some other players, but I think DJ has a very, very high golf IQ and I think it's helped him learn these golf courses, these new courses that they haven't played yet in a quicker amount of time than others. Is there anything to it statistically? So in my, you know, through my research, I think that, especially when you get a WGC, right, where the field isn't, it's a set smaller field, which limits the amount of randomness, the amount of guys who can kind of come out of nowhere and contend with the better players in the world. I think it's it's kind of what you said there with Dustin Johnson going to Chapultepec, where it brings the the best players are able to elevate themselves just a little bit more in a new place. The first example I thought of was Rory at the Canadian Open a couple of years ago when he had never seen that golf course. Mm-hmm. Went out, I think, closed the 61, ended up boat racing the field on Sunday. Um, there's a little bit more of a separation that guys are able to make. There's not that kind of if you've got like a I don't want to call him a middling tour pro, but like maybe a guy who's more of a uh, a veteran who uh, isn't necessarily a star on tour, they can draw on some course experience and maybe gain a half shot here or there based on, you know, the kind of course knowledge that comes in time. Whereas here, if everybody's on a blank slate, I think a player's baseline ability is more important. So kind of what you said, the better players probably have a little bit of an advantage going to courts that 
nobody's ever seen before. And in a WGC, that trait just exacerbated because um, this, the field is just limited and, you know, you tend to get uh, more of an elite uh, leaderboard on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, and that goes for the WGCs in general too because yeah. I went through since 2016, Justin, there have been 18 WGC events held for each year and, of course, only two last year and of those 18 events nine of the winners exactly half were 15 to 1 odds pre-tournament or shorter going in so we're looking at really the best of the best of the best i've got my piece up on the action network right now i looked at the world ranking and the odds for each of those 18 winners and you look at it and you go there's not a whole lot of guys in there i mean there's a there's a kevin kisner at the match play there's phil there's another Bubba at the match play when he was ranked 33rd, 34th in the world. Match play is totally different too. Match play, sure. there's so much more randomness there. You get Kevin Sutherland winning one year at match play. Like that's that's a different animal. But you get these, you know, 70 to 90 player fields, whether it's Bridgestone or Doral, and you can see, oh, that's why Tiger won 18 of these. It's since 2014. DJ is batting 250. He's four for 24. Was it six for 24? at the WGCs uh, in that time span, you can see how the best players are able to elevate themselves even further over their peers. Uh, okay. So you like Rom. I like fee. Now, anybody else we want to talk about here before we move on, get to our five questions. And of course, do our DFS lineup. Uh, I, I will give you, I'm just going to throw out a few names just kind of randomly. And these are whether you like them outright, whether you like them, top fives, top tens, DFS picks, one and done pools, uh, whatever you want to use them for. But I will throw out a few names that I've looked at this week. Victor Hovland was my favorite outright pick last week, finishing the share of fifth place. A really nice weekend moving to this one. I'm only a little scared off that uh, the concession has small greens. And as we know from Victor's admission, I suck at chipping. So um, that might Honest hurt him. Honest testimonial just, from a man who knows his own game. I, but you know what? I'd love to suck at chipping enough to be top six in five of my last six starts worldwide. Yeah, okay. I think he's doing okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I like him. Another guy I liked last week that I'm going to carry over to this week because he actually plays better on Bermuda Greens in the Southeast than he does out West. Matthew Fitzpatrick is ready to pop, really good player. Uh, and a couple of guys that I think just sort of, maybe not for outrights, but again, top 10s, top 20s, but moving to Florida should help them. Billy Horschel, who never plays well on the West Coast, always gets a bump in his home state here in Florida. And then Gary Woodland, who's Ball striking numbers were fantastic last week in L.A., and I'm guessing uh, he was the first one on the plane to get away from the Poana Greens because his putting was horrific <laughs> last week at Riviera. And so uh, I'm guessing Gary Woodland is going to be uh, excited to get back on home turf in Florida. What, uh, what do you think about any of those guys or anyone else you're looking at a little bit farther down the list? Horschel's a great call. Guy went to the University of Florida. He's so much better when he gets off those Poa Greens and, and out to – you know, place where he's a little bit more comfortable. I've got a couple that I'm going to save for our pick in our DraftKings lineup that are a little okay. bit down the board, a little bit of European tour flavor. Mm -hmm. um, one guy who I think is really interesting, Rory McIlroy doesn't miss a lot of cuts, right? He finally had his cuts made, streak broke at Riviera. The previous five times he's missed a cut worldwide, two times he won, four times out of five he's finished in the top five. He's never Ooh. finished first than 12. This is a guy who doesn't let things linger. He's obviously one of the best players of his generation. He, he, he lets these things slide off his back, gets moved into the next place. He's had a lot of success in Florida recently. Won that Players' Championship, won at Bay Hill a couple of years ago. 
over his career averages a stroke and a half on the field tee to green on courses in Florida. So one of the best ball strikers and it really, it, those kind of setups are really able to let him shine. The one thing that's kind of concerning with me is par five scoring average. It's dropped every, it's gotten worse. His ranking every year, each of the last five seasons, he's now 39th in par five scoring. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a key statistic this week. See if he's able to turn that around. Um, the other guy is really is, interesting. Before, before you move on, sorry. Yeah, is yeah, that a matter of his number moving down or everybody else moving up and passing him? So the rank moves down. The rank has moved down. His number is a little bit like he's making, he's making actually a higher percentage of bogeys or worse on par fives than he mm. has the highest percentage since 2013. It's not a high percentage, but it happens a little bit more often. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a guy being a little more aggressive. Um, I'd have to look into the dig into it a little bit more, but his, his scoring average has gone up, AKA gotten a little bit incrementally worse uh, year by year. And his ranking now is down to 39th when five, six years ago, he led the PGA tour in par five scoring. Um, another guy who has a great streak going, that's really interesting is Daniel Berger. I mean, I know he won on a course at Pebble beach. That's going to be a lot different than what he'll see on the Florida swing, but you know, he's a kid who went to Florida State, 26 straight rounds of par better for Berger, the longest active streak on tour. He had a streak of that long. I think we went to like 31 last season. Since 2000, there's only two, uh, two other players with streaks of 26 or more rounds of par better in consecutive seasons, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson. So mm. that's the kind of run that Berger's on. Um, I feel like he. we talked about him last week. He's a guy who I feel like is turning the corner into becoming, you know, one of the – you know, maybe, maybe a consistent top 20 player year in, year out on tour. I mean, he's sure, the kind of guy sure. who, who could do that. Um, so he's really interesting to me this week. And a guy who, I don't know if it's just, you know, it's a thing where we haven't seen him a whole lot. He hasn't played in the United States yet this year. Tommy Fleetwood is at plus 5,500 this week. I think he's really interesting because on the European tours, Desert Swing, he finished 7th, 17th, and 26th. Nothing too flashy, not a win like Tyrrell Hatton or like DJ at Saudi, but he played pretty solid. Third, he ranks third in strokes gained total in Florida events on the PGA Tour the last five years. Second in strokes gained tee to green. He hasn't played in the U.S. since November, but 50, plus 5,500 for Fleetwood seems a little bit low for me on the board. I've said this on the pod a few times. It was probably before you started co-hosting with me, but there were a few players who I thought – were really affected and impacted more by the pandemic and playing during a pandemic than others. And I really thought that Rory McIlroy was one, Adam Scott was one, and Tommy Fleetwood was one. And Tommy sort of admitted that at the end of the year. And I wonder if Tommy's ready to go out there and and play better golf right now. I'm sort of thinking that, uh, that he probably is that now that, you know, things have quieted down a little bit, fingers crossed, knock on wood that, uh, I think Tommy Fleetwood's going to start playing some better golf. I, I think some of those, so to speak, more socially conscious players were uh, not quite on top of their games when um, when we were hitting the the heights of the pandemic. So uh, we're going to get to our young DFS. family too. Yes, you know? young, and that's not, not to be understated. I mean, Rory, same thing. You know, yeah. like you know, a young family. Francesco Molinari has two kids who are relatively mm-hmm. young. It's a good one. He's moving. He kind of struggled last year and. We've seen him kind of reemerge the last few weeks. So I think that's a really good call. Uh, we're going to get to our DFS lineup in just a minute. I can't wait for that because uh, I have absolutely no idea where we're both going because everybody, all, all the good players are really highly priced. So we've got to find some bargains in there. But first, let's do our five questions in under five minutes. 
Five minutes, five questions you never asked. I got to be honest with you. I get a little irritated when somebody calls me away from my golf. This is Five Under. Justin Ray, number one, what was the best story and or moment of the, and I'll put them both together, the Hawaii slash West Coast swing. Best moment? He didn't win the golf tournament, but Phoenix Saturday with Jordan Speed. That has mm. to be the best moment. The, yeah. It's the, the emotion that we, we, it was actually too. It was the first real moment since the pandemic began where the crowd got involved. That mm-hmm. was something that really stuck out that day. And I think it really made, it made me really miss the fans being out there. And I think that, you know, over the last nine, 10 months, it's kind of gotten normal, you know, seeing cardboard cutouts at football games and you know, <laughs> nobody along the ropes on P- at PGA tour events. And then Jordan Spieth, like Lazarus comes back and is just draining 40 footers and Phoenix, going, rise from the ashes. You're like, Oh my God, I missed this so much. Like what? <laughs> this is awesome. So that to me, that was probably the best moment. And it wasn't just that Jordan was doing so great. It was also that there was this reemergence of fan presence. Uh, yes. And the way I asked that question, I completely agree with you. I think if I had gone sort of most memorable moment, most important moment, I still think Patrick Reed and everything surrounding what he did during the weekend at Torrey Pines is still something that we'll remember for a lot of reasons moving forward. Uh, Duly noted, you said you said most important or biggest moment, not favorite yeah. moment. Yes. Yeah, I, exactly. Yes. Very I, different. The way I worded it, I completely agree with you. Uh, question number two, who is your MVP of the Hawaii slash West Coast swing? My knee jerk is to say Patrick Cantlay. Okay. 61 at the American Express to close, contended at Pebble Beach. He was contended into maybe midday Sunday yesterday. Um, He seemed to be there every time he teed it up. But I don't know if that's the right answer. You know, I don't know. I don't have the numbers in front of me, man, to, like, give you the the real legit who is the best strokes gained or scoring average or whatever it might be. Who did you guys land on? Okay, so we landed on – and. I think you almost need a winner and you need a guy who's played well at other events. You couldn't just win one and get the whole thing just based on that. Max Homa. Okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. Contended at Pebble. Yeah. Got the win in a big moment. You know, I could see that. I could yeah. see that. Yeah, for sure. Cause you think about the other winners, like Siwoo Kim didn't play particularly well after he won American express. Nope. Uh, Brooks. It was, you know, Phoenix was awesome, especially on the weekend, but you know, that's really the only you know big moment for him. Yeah, you might end up landing on Homa. If you got to pick, you know, MVP style, narrative plus performance, you know, right. that might be your guy. Right, right. I mean, it feels like a lot of these guys, you know, the, the best players, it, to use another MVP analogy, the best players with the best stats weren't on playoff teams. And so right. you're trying to get a guy that was on a playoff team, a guy that's a got a winning record uh, into the mix on MVP. So I think Max Homa at least checks – uh, both of those boxes for us. So uh, question number three, who is the most disappointing player of the Hawaii slash West Coast swing? Oh man. Most disappointing player. Who? Oh man. That's tough. I'm going to say this hurts to say, but I'm going to categorize it into a person on a particular day. And that is going to be Jordan Spieth on Sundays. Oof. And yeah. I, I think that overall, what has happened the last 
month or so, extremely positive. Net massive gain. Iron numbers are fantastic compared to what they were before. But I think the most disappointing thing, if you just take into account the emotion, all the, the golf world has seemingly poured into it, it's going to be Jordan on Sunday with an opportunity to break through and finally get that win. Yep. I'll buy that. I think that's a good answer. Uh, question number four. And we talked so much about Riviera earlier, but of course, we saw Kapalua's plantation course. We saw Tory Pines. I don't know. Phoenix is fun. What, what was your favorite course of the Hawaii slash West Coast swing? I'm, I might be accused of recency bias, but there are just so many memorable shots and views and holes at Riviera that it's probably still my favorite. Yeah. And the 10th hole, I know that it's, it's test has changed over the years, mm-hmm. especially with the advent of more and more people looking at the numbers about going for the green at 10. Um, so it's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, some of the guys who were on the broadcast this week, uh, over last weekend playing in the eighties, I think it was Faldo said, Oh, it was a four iron up the left side. I mean, and guys don't play it anything like that anymore, right, but right. I don't know. There's so many interesting things about Riviera. Uh, I really like that course. I think Phoenix really misses the environment. I mean, you know, w- once you get the full build out and the full raucous crazy experience, that's what the Phoenix opens all about. Um, and I love Torrey Pines South as well. It was really cool to see Torrey Pines without fans and without the build out. You know, that's the other thing that's been really cool is seeing some of these golf courses without all the fans as much as I miss the presence and the environment and the ambiance of it, you can see a lot of nuances of the golf course. Like I've never played Torrey Pines before. So it was cool to see where different shots can end up and things you can do. So, and then of course you got Pebble beach and everything, but I'm going to stick with Riviera. Speaking of sporting events without fans, did you see the hockey this weekend? I believe there were a couple of games in town. The game was watched... due to sun. Yeah. I, I was kind of out of the mix for that. I, I sort of like just totally missed it, but I did watch the uh, Bruins flyers on Sunday night with like, no fans and just a rink in the middle of nowhere. And just, it was awesome. Mountains in the background and snow. And it was just so cool to watch. I had it up. I've got a two TV set up in my office and I had, I love those, the outdoor winter hockey. I think it's yeah. one of the coolest one-off things in sports that gets done every year. But I saw a thing of the graphic came up and it said game postponed rescheduled for midnight Eastern parentheses sun. And I was like, sun. <laughs> Like you didn't count for what this giant <laughs> ball of gas and heat. You're all very familiar. Sun, like, you know, it was the one thing that like, look, we had a wind delay on the PGA tour. That's rare enough, but for mm-hmm. a sporting event to be postponed due to sun, that was something I'd never seen before. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. Same. Uh, you're right. And that the fact that it happened on the wind delay, I, by the way, I had, I had a member member this weekend. I was a little checked out on Saturday uh, for many reasons. Uh, question number five. And I will really put you, if you thought I was putting you on the spot before, I'm putting you on the spot a lot now. Who will be the MVP of the Florida swing? The Florida swing. Man, this is a stupid, lame answer, but it's Dustin Johnson. That's a stupid, lame answer. I mean, it's not creative, but I mean, that's the first reaction I have. The man has 11 straight finishes of 12th or better, four wins in that span. His scoring average since last summer is 67.7. That's stupid. That's mm-hmm. that's like Tiger Peak scoring average type numbers. The man is just, you know, he. I feel like the tie for eighth he had yesterday was his floor. That's like the worst that could have happened that week. Yeah. Uh, my One of my favorite stats from the whole week, Dustin Johnson shot over par in a final round for the first time yesterday since Riviera last year. He didn't have a final round over par in between. So 371 days without one. Um, 
I'll say DJ's ball striking carries him through and he gets at least one more win here. Over right. next. Well, good news. We're about to get to our DFS lineup on DraftKings. Want to be a DFS millionaire? You're just one lineup away. We're going to go nose to nose with him. And you're going to play better than you ever dreamed of. Because, God damn it, that's what I demand of you. So let's get drafting. Three players each, as we do every week, and uh, the ball's in your court. You're on Okay. Team. In six career PGA Tour starts in Florida, this man has four top five finishes. Ooh, don't tell him. Can I guess him? Can we play the game? Away. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. I need, one. I need more. Only one player in the last five years has averaged – Two or more strokes gained TD green per round in the state of Florida. Tyrrell Hatton. No. Oh, I thought. Oh. You're in the same kind of ballpark, though, because this guy also won last year on the Florida Swing. Sungjae? Sungjae. All right. He took two weeks off. He's well-rested, which two weeks off for Sungjae, that's like 11 years for that guy. I mean, like, I, I ha- don't have him in front of me, but I'm, he hasn't taken consecutive weeks off very often over the last couple of seasons since turning pro just absolutely excels on these Florida setups. So this, this, this data set that I put together, I'm really riding hard here, admittedly, <laughs> like talking about how well guys have done on these Florida courses. But I mean, look, they all kind of, they're all kind of long. There's water hazards everywhere. They reward really good ball striking. Sung JM, let's put them on the team. I will tell you, Justin, that, uh, I do a one and done, but I do a couple of one and done pools. And in at least one of them uh, prior to the year starting, I took Sung JM. And usually those picks turn out to be better than the picks I make based on form and based on uh, like recent knowledge when, when I'm picking during the week. So uh, I don't mind Sung Jay whatsoever. Uh, with my first pick, and I know we're going to have to dig deeper for, uh, for some bargains here at some point, but I'm spending some money. Uh, Tony Finau will not play badly this week. He just he, He's not playing badly. I think he's going to win. I really do. I really think he's going to shut everybody up, and he's going to win by a few. And everyone's going to go, okay, well, so much for that narrative. And it's going to look silly on Sunday night if he does, because we're all going to be sitting there going, well, the guy finished in third place three weeks in a row. Of course he's going <laughs> to win. Why would we think anything else? Like, he was just banging on the door. And so I'm going Tony Finau, and I'm riding that horse throughout the entire week. He's at 9,800 on DraftKings this week. You're making way too much sense, Sobel. Way too much Oof. sense. I, li- I like the call everything. big time. I, like we talked about before the, the you hit record, I'm a proponent of you keep putting yourself in a position to succeed, and eventually it's going to happen. It's going to break through. So um, yeah. I'm with you. I, I like Tony a lot this week too. All right, now we're going to find some value. And I've got a guy who ranked sixth on the European Tour last season, stroke gain T to green. Uh, he's at plus 15,000 for the week. So I think he's going to be pretty cheap on DraftKings. I'm not looking at his number yet. Tied for fourth in Saudi Arabia. Only DJ, Finau, and Rose beat him in Saudi Arabia. 12th on the European Tour in strokes gain approach last season. Big guy, six foot six, hits it a mile, ranked third in strokes gain off the tee on the European Tour last season. The Frenchman, Victor Perez, I think Ooh. has got some value here. I think he's a guy who we're going to learn more about here in the next couple of years. Just great ball striking metrics on the European tour over the last few seasons. And, um, you know, I think there's some value there. He's pretty low down on the board. Did you see the price for him? I don't, I, I didn't do enough. 60, homework he's 6,900 this week. So, yeah. 6,900's pretty good. I mean, yeah. he's priced the same as Lee Westwood. And no offense, I love Lee Westwood and have for a long time, but he's 
he's kind of a ceremonial participant this year in the WGC at concession. So yeah, I don't mind that at all. And by the way, for those that I mentioned one and done pools a minute ago, uh, there are a few different ways to go. I think in one and done pools, one uh, for WGC events, one is just take a big gun. He's got a great chance of winning because we've seen that went over it earlier, but uh, over the years, uh, the best players tend to win these events. The other one is just go, Hey, here's a second tier type player that has a high ceiling and at least he's going to get paid. And I'm not going to use him anywhere else. A, a Louis Oosthuizen, I think for me fits into there. There's, there's no other place on the schedule where I go, I got to play Louis there. That's he's my guy that week, but can you see him winning at some point at WGC? Sure. He plays like he's actually finished, I believe top, some top 20 in five, of his last six WGCs. So tends to play well in those. And the last one is kind of where you're going with this, which is just take a guy who plays on the European tour who's going to make money this week. It's going to be differentiated from a lot of the other people in your pool if you're trying to play some catch-up. And so you can go with a guy like Victor Perez this week, go with a Thomas Dietrich this week, and just hope that it works for you. And like we said, Tyrrell Hatton has played very well at this event, Grant's a new golf course. But uh, uh, also uh, one guy that I think is severely underpriced because he didn't play well on the West Coast. I just don't think he's a West Coast swing kind of guy. Eric Van Royen is even money for a top 40 this week. And he kind of fits into that profile as well. He is, his odds have severely moved uh, in the wrong direction for, uh, for him, the right direction for us. So uh, I think there's some, something to be said about Van Royen as well. Uh, okay. I'm getting my second pick, our fourth pick here in the lineup. I mentioned his name earlier. I thought the ball striking was really good for two days. The score was not great. 73, 73 at Riviera, but uh, the putter, he's just got to be absolutely like, I, hopefully it was the putting greens and the surface and not the putter itself, but Gary Woodland did not putt well. I expect that to change when he gets to Florida where he makes his home base. And at 6,800, I think he's a really smart play this week. Cheaper than Perez. That's an unbelievable value. I think yeah. that's a, that's a great call. I mean, I, I'm a big proponent too of ball striking numbers carry. They go from place to place. Putting numbers are much more variable, so it's tougher to get a lockdown on what a guy's going to do. Um, so I'm going to leave you with plenty of money for your last pick because I'm going with another guy to kind of fill out the back end of our roster. He finished fifth at the DP Worlds last fall, the European Tours marquee event at the end of the season, fourth in Dubai a couple weeks ago, 21st in his last start in Saudi against a really good field. Um, he's really put together a handful of nice performances recently, 12th on the European Tour this season in strokes gained T to green. Um, currently a, a, a $20 bet on this guy winning 300 bucks if he finishes in the top 10. Lori Cantor. What? Going way down off the Whoa. board. I think there's a lot of value here for a guy who's got a ton of – he's got some good upside, and I'm going to leave you with plenty of cash for your last pick to give you one of those big horses to round out the team that you think you could we could maybe get a W out of. But I think you could – I feel like in these WGC events, once a – you're always introduced to a European tour player like Van Royen last year in Mexico, where you're like, oh, yeah, he's got a handful of really good finishes, and his numbers are pretty good over there. And by Friday afternoon, you're thinking to yourself, man, why didn't I think about this dude? Cantor is a name that popped up a lot the second half of the year on the European tour on leaderboards. And I know he's a complete unknown to most golf fans, a relative unknown to hardcore fans as well. But I think that you can get a ton of value here for this guy. That's my long shot out of the gate to tell you I think we can get a decent finish out of him. Justin, uh, you, you got to give me a second here. I'm getting a little getting a little choked up, getting a little emotional. 
Uh, you've left me $11,100. Nobody's ever done something this nice for me. That's before. right. That's right. I, I can't believe what you've done for me here. I, I mean, other than, I mean, you could have picked someone a little bit lower. I could afford DJ, but okay. Other than DJ, well, I could afford anybody in the field right now. Uh, you know what? I am going to, it's not really a compromise because you left me the money, but your favorite play, your favorite outright this week, we've differentiated enough. So I don't mind spending the entire allotment of salary cap. Your guy this week is John Rom, and I certainly will never, ever argue a John Rom play. I love John Rom, and uh, I have no problem with that. I think he made some great points. I picked him last year at the Memorial based on the exact same things you said earlier about his final round ball striking at Riviera, getting it going into the next week. I think he's very predictive in that way. And so uh, John Rom to round it out, and that lineup is Lori Cantor, Tony Finau, Sungjae Im, Victor Perez, John Rom. Gary Woodland. If there's anybody out there that has the same exact lineup as us, they stole it. And I'm okay with it. I go deep because so they don't have to. I mean, I'll go find you a Perez and a Cantor if we, if we need to round up the team. <laughs> but it fits what you were talking about, right? The really yeah. high end guys, Rom and Finau, the value play, maybe, you know, where you pick a European tour guy who you never use anywhere else, and you're going to get some differential value there in Perez and Lori Cantor. And then a guy who's got great numbers, uh, Sung J.M. in Florida, Gary Woodland, who is criminally underpay, uh, underpriced here at 6800 I mean, I, I, I like it. I think we've got a good team. Of course, this is the same thing I tell myself literally every week. Going every through. week. Team looks great on Monday night when we make it. Every That's week. Right. We're Monday night superstars. Uh, before we go, I'm going to put you on the spot for like the eighth time in this podcast. But I don't know if you've looked yet, but one play for the Puerto Rico Open for the people out there. Give your play, and while you're doing that, I'm going to give you one. Okay, I'm going with a guy who is a former top 10 player in the world, a guy who is the only player in the history of the entire game to shoot better than a 63 in a major championship. He did it at Royal Burkdale four years ago, 34th two weeks ago, 20th last week. I think that the golf course hosting the Puerto Rico Open this week should be a little windy. It's a tighter, shorter golf course. Hmm. Reminds a little of Harbor Town, where this guy won previously his only career PGA Tour win. Brandon Grace at right around 22 to 1 in most books is my play this week in Puerto Rico. I'll go with the theme at Puerto Rico of young guys breaking through for their first PGA Tour win. Tony Finau, Victor Hovland. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's happened a lot over the years, guys who have popped through and got it. Will Gordon is a guy with driving numbers that are off the charts. And we saw how hot his putter can get at the Travelers last year, uh, going sight unseen, having not looked at the field until 45 <laughs> seconds ago. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you convincingly, give me Will Gordon. Give me, give me my guy who he bombs it, man. He puts, if he, if he drives the ball well, he can put himself in position anywhere. But I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can beat Brandon Grace in an alternate field event. That's pretty good. It's, it, Feels like was it Graham McDowell who won opposite yep. of yep. match play? Ian Poulter's back? in there. I mean, this Ian Poulter has very much a Graham McDowell late career opposite event kind of feel to it, doesn't it? For sure. By the way, did you see the alternate list for the WGC? It's unreal. Spieth and Fowler Spieth? on the alternate. Russell Henley, yeah. Russell Henley, like it was unbelievable. I think, you think uh, Spieth is like flying to. Is Spieth flying into Tampa? To like sit around on a putting green for a few he's days. He's gonna hang tight at the Marriott, see if he see if someone drops out. 
There's zero chance of that, right? Absolutely no shot. So if you're 11th on that alternate list, you know, head on a swivel, because I don't think yeah. a lot of those guys are going out there and waiting. Meanwhile, the alternate list in Puerto Rico, you and I might be on it. Uh, yeah, uh, well, I see Sean McKeel. And so Tommy Armour third. It's you got to go <laughs> down the list. I saw today that uh, Charlie Wee turned down a spot as an alternate. Yeah, uh, he's waiting for... Yeah, maybe. I mean, he's got a, he's got another career at this point. He like, does. You, know, you got I, you got I, other commitments. I ran into Chris Couch the other day, who teaches at my club, and Couchy was like, "Yeah, I gotta, you know, I haven't played an event in a year, and I gotta go through like, yeah, I get a COVID test, and you go and you get another COVID test, and I gotta do all that." He's like, "I, I'm used to just, I've been doing this for 25 years. You just get on a plane, show up, you play golf." He's like, "I gotta go through all this stuff now." So I, I think some of these guys get a little taste of. uh uh, what life is like on tour right now. So let's get, uh, let's finish up here. And um, thank you so much, Justin Ray from the 15th Club. I'm Jason Sobel from Golf Bed, of course. And uh, thanks to everybody for listening once again to the Action Network podcast. Here's hoping you guys hit the green. We're finished talking.